that as a community throughout history and throughout scripture, God was sending his people just like he's sending us into the world. That we were called to look at the world differently and recognize and say, God, what if I said yes to you? And sometimes God sends to radical world changing across the globe places and sometimes God's sending us simply to get up and walk across the room. But the idea is simply this, we are sent people. And it's time for us to decide if we're willing to say yes to God. Last week we opened our series with the Great Commission, that famous piece of text in Matthew 28 where Jesus sends the disciples into the world. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And we explored that Great Commission from the standpoint of saying, what if I actually realized that those words were for me and weren't for the missionary people that we know as a church and and weren't for pastors or whatever, but they were for me to go into the world and tell the world about Jesus Christ, to experience this radical call. Well, this morning we're going to unpack it even a little further and we're going to take a glimpse into the life of Philip as he experiences God's call. And how he responds to that very whisper. And then we'll see if that doesn't challenge the way that we're called to live. We're going to be in the book of Acts chapter, 20, chapter 8, excuse me, verse 26. We've got a few Bibles, but we've run out, so we've got more on order. So um, if you've got one, you can pull it out. If not, I think Tony's going to throw it up um, behind us. But we're going to be exploring Acts chapter, two, chapter 8, verse 26 um, this morning together as we look at this idea. What if we said yes to God? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much just for the opportunity to gather in this place. God, we thank you that you have called us here. That every single person, whether they've come since we launched in May, or Father, whether they've come for the first time today, is is here for a reason. I don't believe you operate any other way. I believe that you have brought people into this place, God, to hear your truth. And so, God, as we lift up your word this morning, I pray that it would impact our hearts and lives in ways that we can't deny that it would change us. God, we know that an encounter with your word is an encounter with you. Take just a second right in your own heart and just pray that God would open you. Whatever walls you've got, that God would knock them down. Just say, God, open me. And then just say, whatever walls in your heart, whatever walls I've got, knock them down. Pray for someone beside you. Even if you don't know their name, even if you've never seen them before, even if you're not a prayer, just just whisper, God, do something in their life. And Father God, just bless our time as we open your word. God, move in this place. Do something dramatic in the lives of, of us here this morning. We love you and we thank you for Jesus. Amen. You know, Acts is a pretty awesome book. I mean, for lots of reasons. Um, it's really awesome because it's such an incredible picture of the church. It's, it's a picture of the community of imperfect people gathered together trying to figure out how to follow Jesus. I mean, that's really, we call it the birth of the church. I really just think it's more of a picture of a whole bunch of people going, what in the world are we supposed to do now? Because Jesus has been crucified, he's been raised from the dead, and they are sitting there looking at each other going, Most of us spend our time walking around behind this guy. Now he's not here. What do we do? And they're charged with the task of now following Jesus when his physical presence is no longer there, guided by the Holy Spirit to say, we now have become the reflection of Christ to the world. 
And so they huddle together, oftentimes underground because of persecution, and they just live together, constantly preaching the word, constantly sharing life. And it's a fascinating picture of, of what I believe the church is called to be. Well, the church runs into trouble in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 6 and 7, the first really waves of persecutions begin. And there's a guy by the name of Stephen who ends up being killed, stoned to death. Literally had rocks just thrown down upon him until he killed him. Because of what he believed in Jesus Christ and the way that he confessed that and proclaimed it to the Sanhedrin, which was the high ruling Jewish court. They literally threw him outside and killed him. And this guy by the name of Saul was standing there the entire time watching. Now Saul, later become, to become Paul, was like king of the Pharisees. I mean, he was a big deal. I mean, a lot of people knew him. He had many, many leather-bound books. And he was a um, kind of an important, as an anchorman reference, he was an important guy. And... Uh, and he stood there blessing this kind of killing of Stephen. And the Bible tells us in the book of Acts that on that day that Stephen was stoned, a persecution broke out against Christians. And Christians were scattered all over the land. Some were sent to Judea and Samaria and all over the place they were scattered. Because the, the rulers knew that if they scattered the leaders and scattered the Christians, they'd be a lot, it'd be a lot harder to kind of centralize and get any kind of momentum. I mean, you know, you scatter that core group of people and, and it becomes very difficult. They couldn't email each other or call or, you know, it's a long walk to say, hey, you want to get coffee? I mean, it just, it wasn't going to work. And so they spread them all around and this huge persecution had broken out. And it says that Philip was sent to this area called Samaria. Now, Samaria, most of you are familiar with the word because it's, it's a very prominent kind of region in Bible kind of times. But it was really a, a sort of an enemy or an anti um, oppositionish kind of people to the Jews. They weren't, it was a physical conflict, but it was a spiritual thing. The Jewish people hated the Samaritans. They hated them because they were a mixed, mixed breed people. In other words, they were, they were literally Jewish and Gentile, um, kind of a mixed parents, if you will. And, and the Jewish people hated them. In fact, the Jewish people wouldn't even travel through their land. And that's why in Scripture we see Jesus cut right through Samaria and visit with people and sit down with the woman at the well and, uh, you know, all those stories. It's just really even more incredible. But, but they didn't like the Samaritans. And so, of course, the Jewish leaders would, would start putting the Christians in Samaria. And, and, and sure enough, Philip finds himself in Samaria, in the middle of this town. And it says that when he got there, the beginning of Acts 8, when he got there, he just began to talk about the Christ. Talk about the Messiah. Begin to do miracles. He was healing people. He was casting out demons. All kinds of things were happening. He was living as a representation of Christ right there in Samaria. And book of Acts chapter 8 says, And it was great joy and rejoicing in the city. I mean, things were happening in Samaria. It was kind of unusual. I mean, this was a time of persecution. Yet we're seeing this incredible blessing that's flowing out of that. And Philip is right in the middle of it. I mean, you can almost use the word revival. There's a movement that's happening and something incredible is going on and many, many people are coming to know Christ in a territory, in a land where many people didn't want to go. And it was an incredible kind of harvest time. And our text this morning picks right up in the middle of that. Philip is living life. He is sharing the gospel. He is in the middle of this sort of successful ministry, in the middle of this persecution. And our text picks up right in the middle of that, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Let's read that together. Now an angel of the Lord appeared to Philip and said, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of Ethiopians. 
This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in the chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading from Isaiah the prophet. He said, do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the eunuch was reading the passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage in Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave the order to stop the chariot, and then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. So Philip is in Samaria, which is pretty far north. And he's doing ministry and things are happening. And an angel of the Lord appears to him and speaks to him and says, I want you to go south to Jerusalem, to that road that heads from Jerusalem to Gaza called the Desert Road. Now, this road actually went, it was a heavily traveled road, but it went right through the middle of the desert. It started in Jerusalem, went all the way down by the coast to this area called Gaza, and then went all the way down into Africa. And it was a very heavily traveled road, but it was called the Desert Road for a reason. Literally, it cut right through the middle of the desert. And here's Philip doing ministry in Samaria. I mean, things are going great. And the Lord shows up and says, I want you to go to the Desert Road. Now, this is no Sunday drive. It's not like he's like, all right, hey, guys, we're we'll back in a day or so. I'm just got this little quick errand. I mean, this required packing up your belongings, walking 50 plus miles to get to this place in the middle of the desert with no real instructions from God. I mean, God doesn't say, hey, I want you to go. This is what you're going to see. You're going to need two shirts and a pair of shorts or sandals or whatever. He just says, go. So what does Philip do? Philip goes, says that he goes to Jerusalem, then gets on the road and just starts walking. You know, you kind of got to wonder what's rolling through his mind. I mean, here he is walking in the middle of the desert. And if you know anything about the Middle East, it gets hot in the desert. And he's walking down the desert, and it's hot, and it's dry. And he's going, I left all that that was going on for this. I mean, you got to wonder what's going through his mind going, God, I am here. I am walking. It is dry. What is going on? And it says, then an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and said, I want you to go up to that chariot. And stay near it. He doesn't even tell him what's in the chariot. Remember, this is a time of great persecution for Christians. You don't just go running around a chariot and announcing yourself. I mean, these were dangerous times. And the Spirit says, go to that chariot and stay near it. So Philip ran. The word is, Philip ran. Literally got his legs moving and ran to the chariot and just started walking beside it. And he listens and he, and he hears this man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Now we know this man was a eunuch, which basically means he's been castrated because he was some kind of official in charge of the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Now Candace was a title, not her name. And Ethiopia, you can't think about modern day Ethiopia, which was like, this is like really poor and kind of a small country. This was a huge, very well off region. And she was queen of the whole thing. So we're talking about a lot of money, and the eunuch is a very important person. Castorated most likely because he had so much close encounter with the queen. Just got to keep him honest. You know, I don't know, but we don't really know why, right? But we know he's coming back from Jerusalem where he was worshiping for whatever reason. Again, we don't know. Doesn't go into a lot of detail. But we know that this is a very important, very prominent person. 
And what's happening is he walks beside it, he hears the prophet, and so Philip sticks his head inside that chariot and he goes, hey, do you know what you're reading? And the eunuch kind of looks over him and he says, you know, I, I don't. How could I? I mean, this stuff is confusing unless somebody explains it to me. And Philip's like, hey, that's a great idea. Hops up in the chariot and starting there he begins to explain the truth about Jesus Christ. They get all the way down to this point where Philip gets and says, hey, look, there's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? In other words, Philip, or, um, the eunuch said that. And Philip gets all the way through the Jesus story to the point of receiving Christ and being baptized. And the eunuch says, I want to be baptized. So they hop down out of the chariot and uh, they baptize, get him baptized right there in the water. Philip is sort of whisked away in a kind of cool, magical God moment. And uh, the eunuch goes on his way rejoicing. You see, I love this story for lots and lots of reasons, mainly because it's contrary to everything you and I want to be about. Because when we have grown up in churches, that this is the opposite picture of how we're called to live. I mean, see, we'd plant a church in Samaria. We'd get real excited. We'd plant it. We'd see a little bit of fruit. We'd start a, a capital campaign. We'd build a family life center, maybe a sanctuary. We'd hunker down. We'd put in roots, especially when things were going good. We'd capitalize on it. We'd blog about it. We'd tell all our friends and brag about what we're doing and what you're not doing. And, and we'd run around those circles. And Philip is in the middle of this incredible ministry in Samaria, right when we think everything should be hunkered down, and God actually tells him to leave. And it wasn't like in our minds we're thinking, it's so much bigger and better. I mean, he's, God's not looking at Philip going, hey, listen, man, this is small potatoes. I have got plans for you. He just says, Philip, go. Go walk in the desert. And this is so contrary. I, mean, I would argue with God. I'd be like, oh, that can't be you. It cannot be you. Things are going way too good here, man. I am blessed. God, I am doing stuff for you. You are loving me now. And that's the way our mindset works. But God does something really contrary here. And I believe it challenges the core of everything we are as a believer. And I want to address it this morning in three quick questions. And the first one is this. Can you hear? Can you actually hear the voice and the call of the Holy Spirit, the whisper of God? Is your life so in tune? Is your prayer time so on track? Are you so in-depth in the Word that you can hear the very whisper of God? See, most of us, the problem that we have is that we're not paying attention enough to what God's doing to even recognize His voice. We can't hear the whisper of God, but twice the Holy Spirit speaks to Philip and he responds immediately. Philip is in the middle of exciting, amazing ministry in Samaria and the angel of the Lord just shows up and says, I want you to go and I want you to walk through the desert on that one road. He doesn't tell him why. He doesn't tell him what he's going to be doing. He doesn't even tell him what to take. He doesn't promise him anything. He just says, go. But in the middle of Philip's ministry, he was in tune enough with what God was doing, with the voice of the Holy Spirit, that he recognized it. See, most of us would spend about two years arguing with that voice. Surely, God, that's not you calling me out of this. I mean, things are going so well. I finally got that big raise we've been working so hard on. Fifteen years I've labored in this industry over and over and over. You can't be calling me out. I mean, we finally got to this place. The marriage is just starting to get on track. I mean, things are, are happening. You can't, it can't be you. Let me pray about it. I love that response from Christians. You know, God calls us to do something. Let me pray about it. God's like, oh, I pray. I told you to go. You know, pray. What am I going to say? No, I'm going to say yes. I told you already. Let me pray about it. Really praying about it is our excuse to try and wrestle with it on our own. Reality. But most of us, we're not at a place where we're listening well enough. We're not, our time in the Word is not there. Our prayer time. We're not focused on our own relationship with Christ and now even know when God's speaking. The truth is, is that God doesn't speak in the middle of chaos all the time. Sometimes when our lives are down and out, we are in the dumps. It's easier to hear God because we are crying out. 
But man, when things are going well and we feel like we have our life in control and we're tweaking all the stuff, man, God gets lost in that. And this world will give everything it can to drown out the voice of God. It will do it. And it will complicate and crowd your life with all kinds of really good things. And it would have been so easy for Philip to say, I can't hear God because I'm too busy sharing the gospel with these people in Samaria. I'm too busy leading the big tent revival. I'm too busy planting this church and we're getting ready to build a family center and we've got a new sanctuary underway and we're right in the middle of the... I mean, we are on, on missionary ground over here and I'm too busy locked into that to even hear what God's calling us to do. The question that we start off with is, can we hear? Can you hear? Can I hear? And the second question is, would we really go? I mean, if we did hear God say go... Would we really be willing to step our lives out of everything that we know and trust and follow God? I mean, Philip got no directions. God just said, go. And I wonder on that road when Philip's standing there and it's a desert and it's hot and it's dry and he starts going, God, where are you? But God shows up right in the middle of that walk and just gives him one more step, and he says, go stand next to that chariot. He doesn't say, all right, thanks for coming, thanks for trusting me, the chariot's going to answer all your questions. He just says, go. Philip has no idea who's in there. Maybe it's some kind of official who's leading this persecution. Maybe he sticks his head in that chariot and says, hey, and the guy goes, hey, I've been looking for you, Philip, let's go to jail. I mean, he doesn't have any idea. He's just following God. See, most of us are perfectly willing to follow God on our own terms. God, I hear you say go, but here's what I'm going to need. I'm going to need a business plan. I'm going to need to know how I'm going to get paid. I'm going to need to know what I'm going to do for income. I'm going to need to know what to tell my previous employer and how I'm going to explain this to my wife. God, i got to know. you got to lay it out for me. I'm perfectly willing to walk through the desert, but God, you've got to show me what the desert looks like. It's hot and dry. I'll tell you what it looks like. Most of us are at a place where we so desperately want to say that we'd go. But if we're really honest with ourselves, we're petrified of what that means. And sometimes the going isn't all the way down to the end of the world in the desert. It's just simply getting up and living differently. Speaking with someone who we've known for 16 years about the gospel. It's inviting someone to church. It's finally picking up the phone and calling your mom and saying, I forgive you. Sometimes it's responding to whatever that whisper of God is. And you know what? God oftentimes calls us to go in the middle of those great moments in our life. Just when we think everything is great and we've got our handle on it, we figured this show out, God shows up and says, I got a better plan. But check out God's plan. I mean, God's plan was pretty cool because here comes this important official in Africa that just, got, just met Jesus Christ and was baptized and was headed back to Africa as a believer, who has the ear of Candace, who's the queen. I would love to know how that story came out. But Philip was taken from great ministry in Samaria to share the gospel with one person. Oftentimes in our church life, we would call that a disastrous failure. We left thousands of people coming to know Christ, an opportunity to plant a church in the middle of a kind of forgotten place called Samaria, to walk down this road to share the gospel with one person who won't even stay in our country. Right? Our churches would be like, well, they've got to at least come back, right? I mean, we've got to have them come back because they've got to fill out a membership card. Right? What if I told you they were leaving the state and we'd never see, from them, see them again or hear from them again? See how God works? 
The last question is, is, is really simply this, and that's, will, would you share? You notice what Philip does. He responds to God, yes, he goes. But when he hears the moment that this, this eunuch is reading from Isaiah, he says, do you know what you're reading? And, and the eunuch says, I can't. Someone's got to explain it to me. Philip says, let me be that person. See, most of us, we love to love people. We love to come alongside them and walk through their most difficult times or their greatest triumphs. We love to, to love on people, but we don't know how or have a passion to turn the corner and say, but I want you to know about Jesus. We want to feed, we want to help, we want to do whatever it takes, we want to walk with you, but we're petrified of actually saying, you know what would liberate you from this entire life is a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I want to tell you about the God that changed me. See, what we learned in Africa on top of a whole lot of things was that we could go over there and we could dig wells and we could feed people and we could do a medical clinic. But unless we shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, we were doing literally nothing. It was just taking care of one need. There was going to be a bigger one down the road. But if we shared the hope and love of Jesus Christ, if we sat out with a family and said, I believe that God wants you to know him. We solve problems or we're part of God solving problems for eternity. See, the hope of Jesus Christ is what we're called to share with people. We're not just called to be a light. We're called to be a light of Christ. I tell this story often, and I'll kind of end with this. Um, I tell it often, but I, I think it bears you know, kind of repeating again. And it's, it's an encounter I had while I was in seminary, and I was sitting and I was studying at this little cafe one day. And, and I was doing some kind of history of theology. It was a ridiculous kind of, well, most of my seminary experience was ridiculous, but it was a ridiculous kind of giant book, okay? And I was sitting there studying, this waitress came over and she said, what are you reading? And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm in the seminary upstreet. I'm, you know, she goes, are you going to be a pastor? I was like, well, you know, I don't know. Um, I have no idea, but I'm, I'm trying to read this book. And she's like, that doesn't look very interesting. I was like, it's not. So we got into this conversation. And I said, well, do you go to church anywhere? And she said, no, 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 no. And I said, well, have you ever thought about it? She's like, yeah, I've, I've thought about it, but I've, I've never, I, would, I would never go. And I said, why? why? Why would you never go? She goes, well, churches, they don't want people like me. And I kind of looked at her and I said, well, explain that. What do you mean? She goes, well, I, I've got a pretty messed up life. I'm a single mom. I made some pretty bad choices. I've got kids. I mean, my life is not pretty. I make some, some bad decisions. And I said, and you know what? Churches are filled with people like you. She said, no, they're not. And I said, I said how do you know? I mean, what's giving you that feeling? She says, well, I, I live next to a pastor of a church. And she told me the church is right there in town. She said, I live next to a pastor. And I've lived next to him for 17 years. And they are wonderful people. He mows my yard. His wife brings us food. She helps me babysit the kids. I mean, we live in a little house, and, and he lives in this, this house next to ours. And, and they take incredible care of us, and they just, they're really wonderful people. And I said, well, that's, a, that's phenomenal. And she said, but he's never once invited me to church. And I just figured that they didn't want people like me. And I go, how long have you lived there? And she said, 17 years. And I thought to myself, here's the problem. The pastor, who is probably an awesome man of God, who loves Jesus and wanted to do everything in his power to love this woman, never made that invitation and says, we want to talk to you about Jesus and invite you to be a part of what God's doing. And in her mind, all that was was him saying, 
We love you, but you're not welcome. And you're not welcome to hear the story. See, we can take care of people's needs and we can walk alongside our, our dear friends for years and years and years. And at some point in time, if we don't say, I want to tell you about Jesus, the reason I live, the reason I'm loving you, the reason I care for you, then you're telling people that we don't care that much. At some point in time, we've got to be willing to talk about Jesus. This challenge really exists for our entire community. It's not just about you, it's about us as a church, as a community. Will we do these things? Will we listen to the call of God? Will we go? Will we show up in the park? Will we serve? Will we go the places that God's calling us to go? Will we get up out of this building if we feel God calling us to get out of this building to go and love the world? Will we go to Uganda? Will we go to Good Home Park? Will we simply walk across the street and invite those people on 43rd Street to come be a part of what God's doing? And will we tell people about Jesus? We're not here to gather and pat each other on the back and say, man, it's really good to see you again. Have a donut. We're here to say, man, it's really good to see you. Have a donut. How's your walk with Christ? How can I encourage you and love you? And how can we tell the world about that same story? We're going to hear a lot about more, more about this in the days to come. But what I want to challenge you with as we close in worship is simply this. Are you willing to go? At the very voice of God, the very whisper of God, are you willing to say, God, I'll follow you? This morning, maybe sitting in this place saying, you know, Trev, I hear you talking, bro. And I don't, I don't know this Jesus you're talking about. I don't have a relationship with him. In fact, none of this is making a lot of sense, but I believe that God is doing something in me. And you want to come down and meet Jesus this morning. We want to give you that opportunity to enter into a relationship with him. We're going to have men and women in our prayer team that are down here in these corners. Come down, visit with one of them. Tell them that you'd like to meet Jesus and let them share the story.